Upon further review. Upon further review. Welcome to Upon Further Review, your weekly uptake of hot topics across the National Hockey League. Powered by your hosts, Angelo Ricci and Stefan Bianchi. All right, three things still continue to be true in life. Death, taxes, and the Detroit Red Wings still not being a playoff team despite big news happening to them. I don't care if Alex DeBrinkett is leading the league in scoring. I don't care if Patrick Kane signs on a one-year $2.75 million deal. The Detroit Red Wings are not a playoff team. But before we get into that, let's talk about the Patrick Kane move. Pretty big. You come hot, you're coming hot out of the gate without even no explanation. You're just coming for it. Um, yeah, I mean... Patrick Kane signs there one year, $2.75 million. I'm a little bit surprised he picked this team, to be honest. I thought he was going to go for like a more like a more bonafide contender, like, like a Florida, like a Dallas, if they weren't in the West, someone like that where he had a real chance to win. I think you, last last episode, you were saying, watch him, he's going to sign for Boston, like a team like that. I mean, that, that would have been a good fit too. I, I understand like, there are reasons, and we'll talk about them, why he picked the Wings. Like, But it just doesn't seem like it wasn't the first team I was going to pick if you were asking for the best fit. Like, off the top of my head, they would have been pretty far down the list. Yeah, I agree, too. I'm trying to put myself in Patrick Kane's position here. I mean, he's made a lot of money in his career, probably well mm-hmm. over $80 million in total oh, yeah. earnings. He's won three cups. So you'd think that neither winning nor money would be a priority. But at this point in his career, one of them has to be. And I'd probably err on the side of winning just because you probably want to end your career on a, on a bang. And um, mm-hmm. that's why last year, last year, last episode, you kind of convinced me of Florida. Um, out of any team in the East, he's going to be on that first line power play. They, they, they made it to the cup finals last year. They're third in the Atlantic, although they're probably not anyone's cup favorite. He would have had an increased role on that team. And it's probably the the best team where he'd have a good role and they'd be a cup contender. Mm-hmm. And that team was never even mentioned, was it, in the in the race? I think they were like in the final, I think there were eight teams for, or something like that. I remember being reported that were in it. I think Florida was in there. I don't know where any of the other teams ended up, like second, third, fourth, but I think they were in the mix and he, he picked the wings. Um, I think the wings are also good because as much as he wants to win, he, what he also might have been thinking is kind of kind of find a place where I'm going to play an important role in their top six where I can showcase my skills. And if money is still something that he's after, which every professional athlete is still after, no matter how much they've made, if you can put up a decent amount of points and look good playing with Alex to bring it on their first or second line, however you want to call it, then maybe he can make himself a, a, a little more money with like a multi-year deal um, down the road. Even if it's like three years at $4 million, that's $12 million you wouldn't have had, right? So... I think that could have been it. And then also, like, if they suck somehow, which you, I think you you think they will, and I, I I probably, gun to my head, would say that they kind of aren't going to make the playoffs either. There's always a potential for, for him to get traded if he shows that he's good. If he can, like, you know, play at, like, a .75 point pace, which is which I think is a lot to ask, but maybe he can do that with playing with Debrinket, then maybe there's an opportunity to get traded, even if it's for, like, a small price they, they'll probably do good by him and trade him yeah i mean what was it three or four years ago he had that resurgent year in his career where he put up 93 94 points last year with the new york oh my god the new york rangers and, and he had, blackhawks he yeah. had 12 points in 17 games with the rangers last year and 45 points in 54 games it's with the blackhawks bad which turns out to like a 75 ish point pace the issue mm-hmm. is is last year 
when he went to New York, especially in the playoffs, he kind of looked like he fell off a cliff. He had yeah. one point in like 12 games. If he had injured hip, like yeah. and if he was putting up 0.8 points per game with like injured hips, this is a good, that, that could be a good sign. Like we, we thought like, oh, okay, Patrick Kane's falling off. We didn't really know that he was struggling with this injury. So, you know, in an ideal world, he comes back healthy and he's at that level or better now. Yeah, I agree. And also, I think back in the day, a hip injury was thought as kind of ominous for mm-hmm. a player. And if I, I guess the best comparable of an aging player in today's game that had a hip surgery was Brad Marchand. And he came yeah. back the year after and he got the captaincy, still was putting up 75 points a year, still playing well. So you know what? I, I agree. I think Patrick Kane post-hip surgery one year later is probably better than Patrick Kane pre-hip surgery playing on a Hope on so. an injured hip. And if he was able to put up a 70-75 point pace last year, you'd expect on a team that is as run and gun as the Detroit Red Wings are that he could at least put up 60. And if he does, 2.75 million for 60 points isn't bad. That's a great deal if he gets there. The only issue is that, you know, when you look, and obviously stats aren't everything, but his micro stats are not very good. No, he's never... He's not going to win a Selkie Trophy anytime soon. No, he's he's but. arguably the worst defensive forward in the NHL. Last year had a projected war of about 3%, but granted, again, he was in and out of the lineup a lot of times when he was requesting a trade. He was hurt, so it may not be an mm-hmm. accurate representation of Patrick Kane, but this is certainly not the, you know, Rocket Richard candidate 110-point Patrick no. Kane that we've been used to. No, definitely not. Does it move the needle enough for the Detroit Red Wings to be a playoff team in your eyes? You know my answer based off the way I started the episode, but... I mean, they're in a playoff spot right now. Like They are in a wildcard spot. They're tied with, with the Leafs at 27 points. Yeah, third in the third in the Atlantic, and they're in the first wildcard spot, I think. So, I mean, right now, as they are, as they are, they are a playoff team. Well, the standings suggest they're a playoff team, and they've added Patrick Kane. So, I think logic would say, like, yeah, they they, they could be. At the end of the day, I just I just don't think they have enough. I think Tampa Bay is going to make it. Like, they start, they had a slow start, but they don't have Vasilevsky back yet, and they and they're keeping afloat. They're only two points back of the Red Wings without their Vesna goalie. Um, plus, then you still have Pittsburgh, you still have the Islanders, you still have a couple of other teams that are going to be in the mix. I mean, I guess fortunately for the Wings, like the other two teams in the Atlantic that I thought were going to be good, I'll, I won't rope you into this. Like the Sabres are done without Tage Thompson. The Senators have been even worse than they were last year somehow. They, they're last. The Habs are better than them. So they're out of the picture. So the, there's definitely less teams that they have to compete with, but I still think the teams that they're going to compete with, like Pittsburgh's going to be more desperate than them probably. Mm-hmm. And Tampa's Tampa. You can't write them off. So until Tampa, you know, until I can say for, with certainty that Tampa's not going to make it, I'm going to put them ahead of Detroit and I'm going to put Pittsburgh ahead of Detroit as well. And there you go. There's your two wildcard teams. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, especially with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Like it would be concerning if this was a Tampa Bay Lightning team with a non-healthy Vasilevsky moving forward and Nikita Kucherov who's falling off a cliff, oh, a, a Braden Point who after a career year last year looks bad this year. And all three of those things are the reverse of what I just said. Andre Vasilevsky's finally healthy. Nikita Kucherov's putting up an Art Ross candidate season. Stupid again. He's looking like his old former self where he's a threat to put up 120. And Braden Point coming off a career year is having another year that could arguably beat the one he just had. So I agree. Tampa's I still think is going to be a division team at the Atlantic. At worst, they're a wild card team. Yeah. Right now, the Wings are minus 102 to make the playoffs. So for people who don't understand betting lines, that is a very, very marginal the favorite. favorite. Um, That's ba- tough. Basically a 50-50% chance um, to make the playoffs. Um, I don't understand. Like, in what world? Like, we can talk about this. They're not good defensively. Like, not good is me being nice. 
past Mort Sider, they are quite poor defensively. Yeah, they're they're just full of mid guys. They have like guys like Sherrod, who knows he's not in mid, he's just bad. He's bad. Justin Hall is mid to bad. He's been healthy scratch this year. Yeah. Bad. And then they have uh, Jeff Petrie, who's old and just not good anymore. Bad. And Gossus Bear is Man. he's okay. He was good in the Coyotes last year because he was their only guy, but he's he's okay. He's good at one thing, but defensively he's shocking. Yep. You're right. Sider's their guy. They're bad, yeah. and the only right-handed defenseman that they had that was elite they traded last year in Philip Ronick. So they're that's they're, right. They're a pretty bad team defensively. When we look on the forward side of things, this is probably their greatest asset. But mm-hmm. after their top three players, they pretty much fall off a cliff. They spent so much money getting old veteran guys who they expected to pop off. Like you said, D- David Prun was good on the Blues, pretty bad it now. Sucks now. Andrew Kopp was really good on the Jets, really bad now. Who else did we talk about? Comfer. Comfer's having a pretty he's, mid-season. He's what he is. He's what he is. And I mean, you know what? Alex Abrinkin and Dylan Larkin had a phenomenal yeah. start to the year. And with that phenomenal start, they were barely a division team. And we said it. That if you need those two guys to be phenomenal, to be a division team, you're probably not going to be one sustainably. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what we're seeing now. And you know what? Granted, they add um, they add Patrick Kane, but they're going to lose Dylan Larkin for I don't know how long this injury, not injury, I don't know how long this absence is going to be. Really sad scenario that happens there. Mm-hmm. I think on, on behalf of both of us, we, you know, our condolences, we wish him nothing but the best. Um, he lost his 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 child, child. His kid. Yeah. Um, very very saddening. But nonetheless, he's going to be out for a little bit of time. And you know, without their best player for a little bit of time, I I just don't think they're going to be able to hang on to this playoff spot, even with getting Patrick Kane. And you know, I I really hope Dylan Larkin comes back soon. But if he doesn't, I mean, this team might be too far gone by then. Well, yeah. If he's out for for a while, who's Andrew Cop or J T Comp are going to have to be their top their top center, and that's just not. No. You're not gonna be winning many. You're not gonna. You're not a playoff team if, without Dylan Larkin. Period. You're you're barely a playoff team with Dylan Larkin, and you're for sure not without him. So, yeah, I mean, I'll take he's gonna take all the time he needs. So hopefully, for his sake, they can keep a flow without him. But mm-hmm. yeah, even when he comes back, I just I just don't see them playing at a level that a healthy Tampa and a desperate Pittsburgh are gonna are gonna be playing at. Yeah, I agree. If you're terrible defensively and have no depth offensively, you better have Dominic Hasek in net. And instead they have Alex yeah. Lyon and it's James Reimer. Like granted Vili Huso's not been healthy yet. Mm-hmm. But James Reimer's been good. He's had like a a nine mid mid teens. Like he's been good for them. Um That's I mean, not good enough though with this it's team. It's not no, it's not good enough. I mean Vili Huso that's probably what you can hope for at his best. I mean I don't know. I I do know. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. They're not. Um, it's going to be another one of those seasons where we're like, what is this team? And then if they, if Patrick Kane does does well, I would not be shocked if he ends up on another team. Like I think he's going there for an opportunity more than a commitment, in my opinion. You think there's a chance that he gets traded at the deadline? No, I mean, like let's just say they finish just outside a playoff spot mm-hmm. with him and he plays decent. I wouldn't be surprised if come next year he's not there. Oh, like he I signed see. somewhere else. How old is he right now? I think thirty-four. He's, he's thirty-four. Yeah. A thirty-five-year-old past superstar that's had hip surgery and has been in and out of the lineup for a long time. Even if he has a seventy-five-point season next year, how much term and how much AV can a guy like that get? I think honestly, I think GMs are going to be out of their minds this summer because they're going to get like four to five million dollars in cap space. I know that doesn't sound like a lot, but when the cap's gone up by one million for the past four years, these gems are gonna be like kids in a candy shop. <laughs> I think they're gonna be like, "Oh my god, I have so much money!" I wouldn't be surprised if someone paid him like upwards of five million if he has a good season, just because he's Patrick Kane and because they have, "Oh my god, I have all this money, I'm gonna spend it." Gems are stupid sometimes. I think 
if he's good, someone's going to pay him. And like, I wouldn't blame him for following the money if it keeps him. If it's a team even as good as the, the Red Wings, why, why would you not go take the money? So. I agree. It's just from the from the perspective of Stevie Y, and we've talked about this. There was yeah. all this Yeiser plan stuff that had been going on for a very long time that had looked really, really good when they drafted Raymond and Sider that, you know, were mm-hmm. fantastic as a rookie. We had that part on a on a previous episode. I would say upwards of ten episodes now, so we won't belabor it. Where we said is the is the is the Iser plan overrated or failing or stagnant? Yes. And then we get to this situation where I think this year is probably the most playoff ready the Detroit Red Wings mm-hmm. have ever been since yeah. you know since drafting those guys you would think that they would try to address a need with the limited cap space that they have defensively there are so many defensemen in the west that are ready to be traded you don't think this 2.75 million could have been saved you add in an extra 3 million you go out and get Nikita Zadorov or something i just don't understand why they added to the one spot on their team that they're best at. Like and they're not even good offensively. Yeah, that's what like they're they're better offensively than they are defensively for sure, but they're not even that good offensively. Like, I, I don't even I haven't been keeping up with Raymond, but I don't I don't think he's been lighting it up he's, this year. He's, he's been, been okay. Average, yeah. Right? He's been okay. So their first line was Larkin to bring it Raymond. After that, who is it? It's Perron, Cop, and I don't even know who their second line like other winger is. I agree, but do you think a two point seven five million Patrick Kane moves the needle more than putting in an extra two million and getting a stud first pairing defenseman? Like which one would be better for no, this team? But I don't know. Do they they might have the assets to go out and do that, but maybe Stevie Wise like obviously his priorities were were elsewhere. I don't know. I feel like it's hard it's also really hard. If you hear Patrick Kane wants to come to your team, you're an American. You're an American market, and you're you're a market that has honestly kind of been struggling. If you want the, be- I don't think this is inarguable anymore. He's probably the best American-born player ever, yeah. accolades-wise. Him or Medano, yeah. Yeah, and then once Matthews retires, it'll probably be him, assuming mm-hmm. he wins something. Yeah. Um, but the best American-born player ever, let's say, just for the, the sake of this, this discussion, wants to come to your team. And you have the guy that he was at his best with most recently on your wing, having his career year. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like it would be hard for Steve White to say, "No, we're going to get a defenseman." Like, Fair. I know that's maybe that's the right thing to do, but it's probably hard. And then probably when you have ownership in your ear saying, "Hey, we're going to get jersey sales from Patrick Kane. Patrick Kane's going to come bring attention to us." I think there are more like off ice things could have played a role here too. I think it's just hard to say no. Like even if, like as Leafs fans, I remember last year we were like. We would love to get Patrick Kane, even though he was like the last thing we needed. Another another winger who doesn't play physical and doesn't play defense. He's the last thing we needed, but we even got excited at the idea of him coming here. So I think when it's a reality for your team, it's hard to say no. That's fair, but are there not a lot of guys you'd rather have over Patrick Kane right now? Right now, yeah, but you're the Red Wings. Like no one, no one's coming to you. No that's, one's like they've had to overpay for mid guys to go there. That's fair. So when you can get, you know, someone who actually wants to come to you and it's not like looking for the sun and the moon. You probably do it. Mm-hmm. Okay, before we move on, um, let's do a classic. Would you rather? I got a mix of like aging-ish wingers who are kind of like towards the tail end of their career. I want to see who you would rather have. And let's assume Patrick Kane's going to be healthy. Okay. Okay. So would you rather? I think this one's like a tough one to start with. But would you rather Patrick Kane or Brian Rust? Brian Rust had a few years where he was considered the most underrated four in the forward in yeah. the league when he was playing behind or beside Sidney Crosby. He had like a few 30-goal seasons. Just because I know that Brian Rust is younger and I know that you know those career years were not too far for removed from where he was now, I will marginally take Brian Rust over Patrick Kane. Okay. What about Patrick Kane or Joe Pavelski? Oh, that's a no-brainer, Joe Pavelski. It seems like every year Joe Pavelski gets 
older, he gets better. I think last year he was almost on pace to put up 30. If it wasn't for injuries, he would have done it. Phenomenal in the playoffs. Wasn't he leading the league and leading the league in goals in playoffs for a very long time? I think at one point he was crazy. He was really good. I'll take Joe Pavelski. Okay. Joe Pavelski or his teammate Matt Duchesne. Sorry, not Joe Pavelski. Patrick Kane or Pavelski's teammate Matt Duchesne. This is tough because Matt Duchesne still shows and, you know, he's still got some life left in him. He put up a few goals last year. I think I'm going to marginally take Patrick Kane. They're both like players that, especially at this point in their career, don't move the needle much. And I know Patrick Kane still has that passing and shooting ability. I'll take him. Yeah. Okay. Would you rather Patrick Kane or for our dedicated Ottawa Senators listeners, (laughs) Claude Giroux? Just because he's an Ottawa Senator, I'll take Patrick Kane. Okay. (laughs) I'm kidding, but... (laughs) Claude Giroux, you know, he still showed, even when he got traded from Philly to Florida, he mm-hmm. was pretty good for Florida. Yep. Last year was still good for Ottawa. I just don't know what I'm going to get out of post-hip surgery Patrick Kane. I know what I'll get out of Giroux, a 55-60 point guy. He'll give me like 15 goals. I'll take I'll take Giroux. Okay, that's a safe bet. Yeah. And the last one, this one's kind of honestly just funny because it shows how far off he's fallen. Patrick Kane... And you can take contract into account for this one. Mm-hmm. Patrick Kane and Jonathan Huberto. Ooh, contract into yeah. account? I'll take, <laughs> I'll take anyone in the NHL over Jonathan Huberto. Okay. I think on a points per AAV spent, he is the most expensive player in NHL history. Like The fall off of Jonathan Huberto needs to be studied. It was precipitous. Um, he doesn't look like he's enjoying himself playing hockey. I'll take Patrick Kane. Okay. That's crazy because two years ago, if I would have asked that question, you would have thought I was crazy. Yeah, but now it's like a legit conversation. Yeah, I would have asked if I would have thought you were crazy asking me all of those guys. I mean, Joe Pavelski he has gotten worse, and he's still better than Patrick Kane. And yeah, Pavelski is unreal. Yeah. I mean, is Brian Russ used to be a fantasy god, but he's just not that guy anymore. No, he's not. He's not. We're gonna take a brief minute to thank the sponsor of today's episode, Crane Apparel. Brought to life in 2016, Crane Apparel is a local Toronto clothing brand which aims to represent long life, good fortune, love, and luck through all of their premium pieces. Built upon their mission of instilling honorable virtues and creating a positive culture, Crane Apparel's simple yet high quality clothing ensures that you feel both confident and fly while sporting their apparel. From graphic tees, tracksuits, and handcrafted varsity jackets to trucker hats and high quality chains, Crane Apparel has everything to support your fashion needs. To get your merch and stay up to date with new drops, check out Crane Apparel on Instagram or visit their website at thecraneapparel.com. Inspire, motivate, create. Stay fly and join the Crane family today. Someone who who was looking like a fantasy bust and then decided he was just going to put up Five no, it was like nine points in two games. I swear to God, Connor McDavid went from seventy something in our fantasy league. He's now in like the top twenty within two nights. So he just decided he was going to be good again. And funnily enough, when he decides that and they get some goaltending, they win games. They're seven and three in their last ten. They've won four in a row. We're filming on Saturday night before the Edmonton game. So if they lose, well, they lose. But right now, as of a recording, they're on a four-game winning streak, seven and three. McDavid has fourteen points in his last five games. <laughs> Surprise, he pops off and they win. What I thought was funny was um, I even was kind of shocked when I was writing that those tweets that I do. I try to get fantasy advice on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And I said for maybe the first time in his career ever, Connor McDavid is a buy-low candidate. The Edmonton yeah. Oilers looked like they were in the mud. I tweeted that. And then the next game, he had those four games where he put up 15 points. And he's back to being what would you say? First, was he, is he first in our league? No, no, no. He, 
he was 70th and now he's like top 20. I think he's in the teens now. Absolutely ridiculous. It, it just goes to show that there is a 100% correlation between Connor McDavid playing well and the Edmonton Oilers winning games. I mean, yeah. we saw it against, sorry, we saw it the year that they had made the conference finals and got destroyed by Colorado where he was having the playoffs of a lifetime yeah. and they were barely winning hockey games. Connor McDavid is the engine of this team. And, you know, we talk about it all the time. If you need your best player on your team to play at a historic pace in terms of NHL history in order for you to win games, it's not sustainable to win a Stanley no, Cup. No, it's not. What helps in this, though, yes, McDavid went off. That's like definitely the driver. But in three of these four wins in a row, they've had over or above 900 goaltending, which is something that they would have bit your hand off for a couple of weeks ago. Like they, I mean, Jack Campbell's struggles were well documented. Skinner was in the eight, eight sixties, eight seventies, whatever. He was playing crappy. He got a shot on one of these four games, and then he has, um, he has, he puts up like a nine. I think it was like a nine fifteen and nine thirteen. Like he, when you stop some pucks and McDavid starts to score, it's you're gonna win games. Like it's sometimes it's as simple as that. That's nothing coaching could fix. It's not like Chris Knobloch came in and said he like was like the Stuart Skinner whisperer. Stuart, <laughs> Stuart Skinner just started to stop pucks, and Connor McDavid inevitably started to score again like there's nothing this coach did it was just a matter of time that's a tongue twister Stuart skinner started to stop pucks i mean and i did it brought off the tongue well i agree i mean the firing of jay woodcroft was um a move to show the edmonton oilers and the fan base that you know we mean business and we're trying to win hockey games and no way was 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 it because he was inept as a coach um but yeah, I mean, if this team gets 900 goaltending, they are cup favorites. And I think the reason why everyone had them as cup favorites over the last two or three years is because they expected Jack Campbell to give you, at the very least, 900 goaltending. You yeah. thought you'd get 915, 900 was at a floor. This team is a is a cup final favorite. And I mean, you fast forward three years, Stuart Skinner is your guy. Jack Campbell is nowhere to be found. The minors. And now we're, the Edmonton Oilers are so desperate. They are. We are hearing that they might go out and get Sam Mullenbolt. Like, really? Like Sam Mullenbolt is going to be the answer to your prayers, the reason, the the yeah, needle mover to winning a cup. You said this last episode. If they if they still don't trust Stuart Skinner, which they have all the reason not to trust him because four games is not enough to change everyone's mind, they need to go out and get a legit goalie. You can't just be going like you, if you go go and get Montembeau, you go get Jake Allen, you go get one of these like just mid goalies who can say, can can win you a game every once in a while. That's that's what Stuart Skinner is. Yeah. I, I agree. For, from a PR perspective, you cannot afford to go out and get a guy where if he performs poorly, um, the media goes, you could have gotten someone better. Yeah. If we look at the um, just the names that come to my head, and you're a better historian in hockey than I am, so add, add in the names. Mike Smith, Koskinen, Stuart Skinner, Jack Campbell. Now we're going to add Knobloch. Sorry, not Knobloch. <laughs> we're going to add Montembault to the list. That is That would yeah. now be five mid-goalies that have never shown they could be a bonafide number one. The closest guy on that list is Jack Campbell. And I'm sorry, that year the Leafs were above average defensively. Yeah, they were good. We, we, we didn't know that Jack Campbell could be a bonafide number one, and he wasn't. They need to go out and get a legitimate guy. Yeah. And if they go out and get Sam Montembault, that would be the funniest thing I'd That'd ever be really heard. funny. They get fleeced too. And you're, you'd be booking Connor McDavid a one-way ticket out of that. That's kind of... I mean, like Matthews and Marner were talking about Toronto. They haven't had world beater goalies either. But like having like McDavid's career to this point, having that list of goalies is is criminal. It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing. When you are gifted a generational player like Connor McDavid, as a GM, it's both a gift and a curse. It's a gift because you are now, if you make the correct moves, a perennial cup contender 
until he leaves. And it's a curse because if you don't go out and get him the players that he needs to succeed and get yourself into cap troubles, you go down as one of the worst GMs in history. And it looks yeah. like looks like Ken Holland is going to be the second. Yeah, Shirelli first, Ken Holland second. Neither of them could, fi- could fix. It wasn't even a mess. They couldn't take advantage of a great opportunity. Yeah, well, they've, they've also made extremely questionable moves. Yeah. Those five def- goalie moves that we just said have been enough to get you fired, which it got Shirelli fired. The, their answer to their prayers is Duncan Keith. Like That was, a, we, that we, was one of the we worst We're talking moves. about Cody Cece being the guy that, you yeah. know, like it, I think the, the only good move they had ever made defensively was getting Matias Ekholm. Yeah. And if it took you five years to do that and you followed up with going and getting Sam Moenbol, this team needs to be relocated. Yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> I mean... I mean, Ken Holland's not coming back. His contract is done at the end of the year. I think it's like well reported that he's just gone. They're going to be looking for for other candidates. But I mean, you have this next GM when they come in, and I know we're talking about the future. We're talking we're talking about how good the Oilers have been now, and then we're talking about how also how bad they've been and what they're going to look like in two years. But no, realistically though, when this next GM comes in, they're going to have to they they have a year, a year or two to prove to McDavid that. That, that that's the team you should spend the rest of his prime with. Like that, that's a big job. This is probably one of the most important decisions they're going to make as a... I, w- I would argue it's the most important decision they'll they'll have to make as an organization since McDavid was drafted. Because this is, this is like... I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but this is like do or die for them, I think. Maybe that's the term I was looking for. Like If you don't convince McDavid to stay after this, your toast like you would have gone like you said that's the biggest failure of an organization in a while if that happens without you also having the second best player in the league during the best player of all times prime yes you add in having leon Dreisaitl, and you go how in the world did this team not not win a western conference final game in eight years it's ridiculous it's true yeah no it's that's very true i guess we can move I mean, on sorry sorry keep going i was i was gonna like try and keep it a little positive like they're only five points out of a playoff spot yeah, now. Yeah, this is like, where I was going to get okay. into, too. Keep going. The teams that are ahead of them for a wild card are the Kraken, the Preds, the Flames, who are actively selling, the Coyotes, the Blue, and the Blues. Like, like This team's going to be in a playoff spot by January. You think they're a playoff team? I think they're going to be. I think they're a playoff team for sure. If they can, can – I know this is unsustainable. Like, McDavid scoring 14 points in five games is a little bit unsustainable. It's actually maybe not for him, but um, – they're not going to be like winning at this rate, like, but I think just the teams in front of them, like I said, the Flames are committing to selling. Like they they traded Zadorov, they're going to trade Hannafin, they're going to trade Tanev, they're going to trade Lindholm. I think they're pretty well committed to doing that. The Coyotes are the Coyotes. Yes, they've been good, but if they, if they start to sell, they start to make trades, which is not out of the norm for them. They're going to fall off. Don't really know what the Blues are. They were selling at the deadline last year. The Preds, I think, are fraudulent, and I also think the Kraken are fraudulent. Like there are teams ahead of them that are just not that good. And if this team can continue on anywhere close to the pace that they're on right now, they're going to be a playoff team. And I would say by the new year, they can be a playoff team. If things go their way, I, I wouldn't be shocked. I agree. It's like looking at the specific division now, I knew they were the worst division in hockey, but it's actually embarrassing that the Edmonton Oilers aren't a playoff team. Well, in a it's division, really bad. In a division where I would say four of the worst teams in the NHL are. Like you got the San Jose Sharks, for sure. Chicago Blackhawks, for sure. Anaheim Ducks for sure, and right now the Minnesota Wild. We're talking. Oh, they're about terrible. Yeah, the you're talking about the West. The yeah, yeah. It's just it's really bad. Like I, I don't understand. For your sake, I really hope the Edmonton oh Oilers do not make the playoffs because I want the Arizona Coyotes to be a playoff team. Oh, because so that was I, one of your hot takes. So I take can come true. I thought you were talking about fantasy because no, no, I no, dropped no, the no. Oilers. No, no, no. I mean, 
seeing the Arizona Coyotes make the playoffs in an arena with 6,000 people after less. being it's literally less. after being a laughing stock for years if they were the team that knocks out the Edmonton Oilers that would be we hilarious were, we were really and funny. you know what good for the Arizona Coyotes because yeah. they've been bad for so long they got some some young Your guys boy. that look good my boy Sean he's Shauna, crazy Sean a him Sean a him jersey Sean him <laughs> uh yeah we'll, we'll see I, I why do you think the Edmonton Oilers are a playoff team just because the people in front the teams in front of them are that bad is that your reasoning well that and you have the best player on earth if he he can decide at any moment to put up this to put up 15 points in five games like that's not i said that's out of the norm for every other player to ever exist maybe barring crosby lemieux those guys like that is a ridiculous pace yep but that he can do it he can do that and if he does he, and if he decides to play at two points per game which he can they're not they're not going to lose that many they're going to win much many more games than they lose moving forward and when these teams inevitably drop off like i think they will um it's just they're, they're going to make the playoffs. I'm like almost certain of it. I don't know what their odds are right now to make the playoffs, but if if I'll if I minus. bet, I would I would be hammering it if it was if it was plus money. It looks like the division is out of the question. I yeah, mean, they're, they're they're ten points out of a division spot, and the the teams that are up there are so good that you don't expect them to lose seven of their no. next ten. No, the division's good. The top end of that division's really good. It's really good. I I agree. And yeah, we'll see. I mean. For hockey's sake, you'd hope that they make the playoffs just because yeah. it'd be a more exciting playoffs with the Edmonton Oilers there. But the division is out of the question. They're going to be a playoff. Who's, who's be a for, is it, it's Vegas, LA, and who's in the third spot? Or who's in the second spot? Vancouver. Vancouver, that's right. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, that's those are three really good teams. If the Edmonton Oilers make the wild card spot, they might be like the, one of the better wild card teams in memory. On paper, yeah. Like you work so hard in the regular season to be a first seed, and you have to come up against McDavid and Drysaddle, who have been pissed all season. Like I would be crapping my pants if I was Dallas or if I was Ve- maybe not yeah, Vegas because Vegas Vegas, Vegas is their daddy. And they'll handle them. But if let, let, let's like even though like Vegas would be like you're kidding me, though. I have to play the best player in the world, even though I think Vegas would still handle them. You tell me Vegas would rather play like the Edmonton and the Coyotes or the Blues? No sure. shot, yeah. no, right? Yeah. Imagine being rewarded with McDavid, who's angry. Like, yeah, that, that's true. We've never seen the Edmonton Oilers play a playoff round with their backs up against the wall to the point where um, they are one season away from absolutely blowing up. You're going to get that this year, even if they are a division yeah. team. And if they're a wild card team, they're also going to be playing with extra motivation that it's already embarrassing that we're in the wild card. So who knows? Maybe that's the year. Like... I know we're going to head in this direction anyway, so like I'll, I'll just get there now. But like I know I sound like such an idiot saying this, and this is under the condition that the Edmonton Oilers make the playoffs, but if they make the playoffs, I'm, I'm picking them to win the Cup. No, you're not. I am. Uh, I'm doing it right now on camera. <laughs> there's too many good teams in the West. You're telling me they're I better know. than the Colorado no, Avalanche? No, no, I'm not saying that they're better built. Like On paper, those teams are so much better than them. I just think, and I said this in the offseason, and I was obviously wrong because they, they've been sucking until recently, but there's, I just think that this team will be the most desperate we have seen them. Like, they, they won a couple of rounds. They, they won a round. They won a couple of rounds the past couple of playoff rounds, past couple of postseasons. This has been the first regular season in a long time that they've been bad and faced this much adversity. If they can come through it and make a playoff spot, McDavid, Dreisaitl, all those guys are going to be, they're going to have a chip on their shoulder. They're going to be upset. And I think they go on a tear. And I know they've been on tears before, but I think the rest of the team rallies around them. And I think they go on a crazy run. I don't think that's... I know it sounds insane for me to say that right now because they're five points out of a playoff spot on December 2nd. But if they make the playoffs, 
They're going to win the cup. Well, you know this is going on TikTok, so I'm going to use know. some logical deduction here. You just told me that the Edmonton Oilers are 100% a playoff team. And then you said if they are a playoff team, they're yeah. your cup favorites. Yes. So the Edmonton Oilers right now, sixth in the Pacific, are your favorites to win the cup. If yeah, like I I appre- I know that in a vacuum of saying this, the la- second last place team in the worst division hockey is going to win the cup, but there's context, and the context is Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl, who have both not been at their best yet, and they're just heating up now. Like I can't, but I, I really have a hard time betting against those two. I see the when logic. they're when they're angry and I, when they're like fired up. Yeah, I see the logic. I've I've been on record betting on teams purely based off of motivation. I did yeah. it with the Colorado Avalanche when I thought they were going to win the Cup. Granted, that year they were also stacked. They're my Cup favorites to win now just because of motivation. And and if they do make a push for the playoffs, you're telling me Ken Holland's not going to add at the deadline? He will for sure. He has to add at the deadline. Jeff Jackson's going to like tell him that he's his daddy and he's going to tell him to add at the deadline. Like he, They will be making moves to buff up that team, whether it be a goalie, whether it be a be- couple of better defensemen. I don't know if they need actually to improve much on four because their forwards are their forwards. But this team, then they, if they add, and they add in the right way, that can always—that's not always a given with this management group. But if they add in the right way, they're going to be dangerous. Like they will be dangerous. Well, the Nashville Predators today just gave Tyson Berry permission to seek yeah, a imagine trade. he goes back. And if we know the type of defenseman Ken Holland likes to get at the deadline, Tyson Berry is going to be—it's well, going to be the it's one. It's going to be—they—they they have Tyson Berry 2.0, just five years younger, and Evan Bouchard. They need to go out and get Chris Tanev. I'm surprised they weren't in no, the, the, Leafs, in are the Zadarov. Get, the Leafs are going to get Chris Tanev. I'm surprised he wasn't. They weren't in the Zadarov um, trade talks. I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll see. I see the logic behind it. So if if your cup favorite right now is the Edmonton Oilers, very quickly, I will give my cup favorite. Again. I think I know who it's going to be. I'm not going to say it, but I'm not going to spoil it. The Colorado Avalanche. Yeah, like, it's an easy answer, and the reason why I say that is because the Colorado Avalanche showed. Um, that when they had ultimate motivation to win a cup, they steamrolled. That year that they won the cup, it was the year after the infamous Nathan McKinnon speech where he said, we haven't won anything. Mm-hmm. They come up mm-hmm. next year, Nathan, Nathan McKinnon has a career year, and they don't go to a single game seven in any single round. They yeah, swept the Oilers in the in the, in the the Western Conference, Conference Finals and yep. handled who? I'm, I'm outing myself here. The, uh, it was Lightning, wasn't it? No. Oh, the Lightning. You're right. It was Lightning. They, they, in six games, pretty reasonably. I know it went to six, but they dominated the games that they lost yeah. to. Um, this year... They're coming off of a of a beating, quite frankly, against the Kraken in the first round last year. It was pretty embarrassing. We're a little bit removed since they were a dominant team. They battled injuries last year. They're finally all healthy. If we're, if you're going off motivation to take the Oilers to win the Cup, I will double down on motivation. This team is as motivated as they've been since they won That's the Cup. True. And I'm sorry, they're the most talented team in the NHL. And they got good enough goaltending to, to bail do. out oh, a yeah. bad offensive night. And they're good, they're good defensively. Like, yep. That's why a guy like, like Gurgiev was a good goalie on the Rangers too, but he kind of struggled towards the end of it. We have a team with Devon Taves, McCarr. Um, I can't remember. Well, Gerard's not, not there anymore. Hopefully he will rejoin them at some point. But like, boom, Byron, like they're stacked. They're so stacked everywhere. Yeah, it's probably the best team. And, and they're without their captain too. Sometimes you forget about that, but... I don't. I don't think he's gonna be back. I don't think he's gonna come back at all this season, no. unless he has like a Kucherov moment where he comes back just for the playoffs, which would be insane. Um, but they're, yeah, I, they're good enough to win with them. They are, and they're the, they're the best team on paper for sure. And they can probably add more at the deadline too, which they should because we're both proponents of. If you have guys like McKinnon and Ranton in their prime, you should be you should be getting rid of your first every year. And Emakar. Emakar, literally. Yeah. In, in a league where you are cyclically good because of a hard cap. Whenever you are somewhat yeah. good, you need to go for it. And they are not only somewhat good, they have yeah. arguably the best defenseman in history up to this point in his career. Mm-hmm. And they have the third best player in the league right now 
um, and the most underrated goal scorer in the league who just scored 50 goals last year and 100 yeah. points. They're crazy. And then insane amounts of depth. Like, this team is good enough to win without going for it, and I suspect that they do go for it when the time comes. For sure. Yeah, I don't think Joe Sackett's going to let an opportunity like this. Let Especially in such a bad Western Conference. Like, they guarantee themselves yeah. winning around one probably in four or five games. This team's going to be healthy and rested. Like, the opportunity for you to win a cup is just unbelievable over the next five years. I know this is tough to say, but if Colorado only wins one cup over the next five years, it's probably a failure. They already got one. They need another one. The, the, the situation's and too they, good. And they have all their guys locked down yeah. pretty long term. When the cap starts going up, they're going to be even better. It's a good deals too. Yeah, they're all worth their money. And th- there, there is actually a world where they meet in the first round, Colorado and the Oilers. If, they, if the Oilers are a wild card team, they could meet. Colorado on five. <laughs> That's the yeah. I mean, if they're a wild card team, it's gonna be tough to beat Vegas or Colorado. I think that will probably those will probably be like the series of the entire playoffs because you can get both teams that are and they're healthy at the same time. It's gonna be crazy. I agree, and you say it a lot too. Usually the first round's the best in the NHL. It is so. just, the first round is like the best. Day. It's like October is the best time I think for sports, mm-hmm. but I think the first round of playoffs is like my favorite time, like of the sporting like the sports schedule because you have four games a night and they're all good. And they're always good matchups. I think, and, and it's also probably because that's when the Leafs stop playing. So then, like, I'm less interested after that point. But no, when there's like four games on a night, you can sit down on your couch from seven to like twelve thirty and just watch the first round. It's like the, one of the best moments. We're just gonna take a brief minute to shut out the sponsor of today's episode, SeatGeek. Looking to enjoy a night out with some friends watching a sports game, concert, comedy show, or music festival? Hit up SeatGeek, an app that helps you find tickets in the cheapest and simplest possible way. By visiting their site, you can see events happening near you, and within one click can instantly get access to tickets at the cheapest possible price. With SeatGeek's price grading system, you can instantly find out whether you're getting a bargain on the tickets you buy. At checkout, be sure to enter code UFRPOD to get $20 off your first purchase. Visit SeatGeek today and revolutionize the way you buy tickets. Speaking of the Leafs, can we talk about this team being quite literally unable to win a game if it doesn't go to shootout? It's pretty crazy. We cannot win in regulation. They have five regulation wins in 21 games. I think last time I saw it on the broadcast, which was like a couple of games ago, so it could be even worse, they were tied for 30th in the league in regulation wins with the Columbus Blue Jackets. And what's crazy is there's, I think, 25 teams lower them in the standings right now. Yeah, they they have been so painfully mid to watch this year. Yep. If it wasn't for Willie having the best start of his career and the best 20-game stretch of his career, I don't actually know if this team would. They actually, I can say confidently they wouldn't be in a playoff spot because they're barely in a playoff spot right now. Every single year, it's the same time. Like the lease in October are terrible. This time, it just happened one month later. Um, we were pretty good in October, awful in November. There's just no clutch scoring on this team, and there's no consistency past number eighty-eight, and that's pretty ironic yeah. because over his tenure as a Leaf, he's been the most volatile player on the team. Like we can talk about so many things. Like, like first and foremost, I think the the game they just had against the Seattle Kraken that will be now the second game because they're they're playing Boston right now. They're losing two right one. Austin scored, which is good. It's Did two he? one. About yeah. time. Um, 
the Seattle Kraken was the perfect game. They go down, they go up two in the third period at home against a team that isn't great, and they have to go to overtime to scrape out a win. Like yeah. when you go up two games, I don't care. If, sorry, two goals going into the third. I don't care if you're playing Team Canada. They, they, you should not lose that game as a cup contender. Yeah. And you know they're giving away points, and it happens every year. If if this happens three times, you lose three points over the course of over the course of these games. Is the difference between winning a division and coming in third? Yeah, that's home ice, and then getting a tough matchup, and it happens every year. Yeah, the two years ago with Keith as their coach, like this team is not very different. No. They were incredible at keeping um, third period leads, and they, there was a stat with they, they quite they they rarely gave up a lead. If they went to the third period with a with a lead, that was their game. Like, yep. I don't know what's changed. It looks like we've lost our identity a bit, even especially on the power, the penalty kill. We've been very good historically, and this year we're pretty bad. Yeah. I just wonder if they, you know, we lost a couple glue guys last they year did. who yeah. we didn't expect that they were glue guys, but who knows? Maybe Alex Kerfoot, maybe Noel Achari, maybe those guys were more important than we thought because the PK. Well, they lost They lost them. They lost Hall. They lost Chen, who was a PK or two. Like, it looks like a lot, you know, the, the PK and your ability to shut down a game in the third period are pretty correlated. Those are the same types of players in the same play style mm-hmm. usually play. So it makes sense that when one goes down, the other one goes down. But, man, those are two important things for a cup contending team. And it just exacerbates the Leafs' inability to be good defensively when it matters. And the fact that they look really uncomfortable in their <laughs> own zone. Yeah. I, yes, there are injuries, but like a level of comfort, I guarantee you if... Vegas lost three of their top six. The randos that they pull into their lineup will still function because they have a system in place that is like conducive to playing good D zone hockey and making good plays and being in the right spots. The Leafs just don't have that. And like Benoit, Lagasin, they've they've been okay for what's expected of them, but mm-hmm. like they can't do more than that. I agree. It's like the big guys need to lead by example. Like, are, are you worried about Austin Matthews right now? I'm extremely worried about him, There's and a- it frustrates me that whenever. That line is struggling. People dunk on Mitch, and it's all Mitch, 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 Mitch sucks. Like I don't understand why Austin Matthews is immune to criticism. And we have been, if you're a follower of this of this podcast and you follow us on TikTok, you know that we hype up Austin Matthews any chance we get. Mm-hmm. Angelo is literally sitting in front of a picture of him right now. Too, but it is like he has been bad. He's been bad for most of the season. He's yes, he scored two hat tricks and he he's like only a few goals off the, the lead, but he is not dominating the, the puck, the ice the way he has even last year. He just looks I don't know what it is. He looks like he's not trying as hard. He looks like he's not being as physical. When he was at his best, he was physical. He was getting pucks in down low. He was dominating. He was creating his own opportunities. I, I don't see any of that anymore. Yeah, I agree. One of the things that we love about Austin Matthews is that off the puck when he's having a bad night, which is pretty rare because, you know, he's in the conversation for the for yeah. the heart and the rocket every year. Off the puck, having a bad night, he's noticeable in a good way. Like, I remember uh, in the Florida series last year where he wasn't able to score, he was getting into corners, especially on the defensive zone, making great plays. Where, and again, this is Toronto media, but he'd be on, like, Sports Center top plays for being good defensively. And it's gone to the point now where I agree, like, off the puck, when he's not scoring, he is he's bad. Like he's, he's unnoticeable. He's unnoticeable. And, you know, you look at, if, you, if we hadn't watched any games and you told me in in training camp, for example, through 20 games or whatever they are in the season, Austin Matthews has 23 yeah. points in 21 games. He's three goals off the rocket, Richard. I would say he's on pace to put up a career year. Yeah. He's only scored in seven games. 
He's had yeah. three hat tricks and he scored against bad teams. He scored against Montreal, Minnesota, Minnesota twice, Washington, and Buffalo. Like he's not scoring. Those are the against, only teams he scored against. He's, he's also scored against Tampa once. I just left it out here to show that. But you know, still one. Tampa's, one of his. One Tampa's, of his. Tampa's bad this year. And they're not. They're not as good. Yeah. Granted, he just finally scored against Boston as we're talking right now. But if your biggest player is so incredibly volatile and he's only playing well against bad teams, it makes sense that this team can't win in regulation. Mm -hmm. It makes sense that we don't have... Do we have a winning record or is it marginal? I think they're marginally a winning record, yeah. It, and it makes sense. I'm sorry. Objectively, we are not a cup contender right now. No. We're just not. I'm, I'm worried about Austin as well. I would rather have a guy that puts up 85 points a year and gets me a point a game than a guy that puts up 105 and can go four games without scoring. Because... On the latter situation, you become so dependent on that one guy to put up points. On nights that he's bad, you lose games. And if you think I'm crazy, we just talked about a team that's happened with that. Yeah. Connor McDavid, you know, he's, he's a 130-point player. When he goes four games without getting a point, this team is so bad, they have to fire their coach. And Austin Matthews is the Connor McDavid of Toronto. When he is bad, we don't win hockey games. It's true. Yeah, no, he, he needs to be going, like... We were winning hockey games barely when Willie was putting up those points. There's just something about that. If I bet you if Austin had that production, we'd be winning more. Like, is there something about just him when he plays well? He's kind of the identity of this team. Mm -hmm. um, and yeah, he looks, I don't know if he's injured. Like, he, we know that he's had injuries, but there's been no reports of that. I don't know what it is, but starting next year, he's going to be the highest paid player in the league. And he looks far off of that right now. And it's yeah. concerning. Yeah. And he, yeah. he's worthy of criticism. Like, we, we do protect him in this market and we, we're happy to dunk on Mitch and people were happy to dunk on Willie and people are happy to talk crap about Tavares' contract. He is the one that avoids criticism all the time. And this has maybe been the first time in his career that I can remember, at least recently, where I've been like, this guy sucks and no one's talking about it. And it's kind of annoying. I agree. It also might be the first time he's ever been bad in, over in his tenure as a Leaf. Yeah, which says a lot. And, and the expectations are high and they should be. going to be the highest paid player in the league next year. I agree. It's it's a weird it's a weird situation because he can easily just say, "Look, my my overall stats are are, are pretty good. Like I'm three off the lead yeah, in the rocket." But you can tell it's yeah. it's different. He's volatile. And I don't think he's like that kind of guy to be like, "Oh, my stats are so good." Like he, I I believe him when he says he wants to win. That he wants, you know, he puts team success first. But the team success comes when he has success. They go hand in hand, and he just needs to be better. I think he'll turn it around. He's Austin Matthews for crap. Like for Christ's sake, like he's not going to be bad the whole year. Um, but right now they're they're not as good as they can be, and he's a big reason about that. I mean, the second biggest reason we talked about is their decor. I think they're I think they are weeks away from making a trade. Like I'm surprised they didn't get Zadorov. I don't. We're gonna talk about that in like a second, so I won't quite talk about it now. But I do think the reason they didn't go get Zadorov is because I think they want Tanev. I think that's the guy that they want. And I agree. That's the profile, like a right-handed guy. We don't have many of those guys mm -hmm. who are good. Like QBR only right-handed defenseman. Like, like other than Lilligren. Yeah. yeah. Is uh, is Noah Hannafin right-handed? He's lefty. I was going to say, Noah Hannafin's the guy that I probably want. I remember last episode I said I want Tanev over Zadarov. I totally forgot about Hannafin. Mm -hmm. I would rather have he's Hannafin. He's getting traded too. Yeah, I would rather have Hannafin, but he's a left-handed defenseman, which is another problem. It is, but like, Han do you think they make, you, like, you played a higher level of hockey than me, so like, you're you probably a better person to answer this. Is handedness on defense that important where you have to sacrifice the better player? Do you think it's that important? See, I played forward, so maybe yeah. I'm not the best person to answer this, but I would say no. Like, a lot of guys in the NHL now are even showing that they can move both sides. Like, we'll, we'll talk about Zadorov too, but they just had to move Tyler Myers from the left to the right, and Tyler Myers is by no means a good defenseman. A lot of these guys 
are good enough to play both sides. And if I'm a GM, GM, I am not sacrificing the better hockey player to go to get a guy that shoots a certain way, especially because right. I know they've played both sides in their career. A lot of these defensemen were forwards, first of all, being young kids, and they've both played on both sides of the wing. I'm pretty confident they can handle an off wing appropriately. Yeah. And I, this is like unrelated, kind of, but not really. It's, it's just like it's a while ago. I'm pretty sure those really good Detroit teams with Babcock, like after Chelios, dressed, they were all lefties. Um, they had six left-handed defensemen. They were winning cups. So I, I think if you're good enough at hockey, you can make it work. Um, yeah, I think Hannafin would be great. And that's funny because the Leafs were like debating between drafting him and Mitch, and there's a world where they could have both of them. Um, but that he's going to cost more than Tanev, though, as well. So... Depends on much the Leafs are willing to to spend, uh, in terms of assets. I agree. Well, we'll we'll see what they do. If I was pretty confident they were going to get Zadorov, to be honest, and Me now too. that now that Me they too. didn't, I mean, who knows what's going to happen? Well, let's let's jump into that trade because we were both talking sort of off air, I guess. That the Canucks got him for, I think, less than what we both expected him to go for, just based off of all like the chatter around it. There was like a big hoopla made about him getting traded. Meanwhile, he's a third pairing defenseman at best. On a good team, is a third-pairing defenseman, but he fills a need that not many other defensemen can actually fill. He's 6'5", he's 250, and he'll take your head off if you give him the chance. You really think he's a third-pairing defenseman on a cup-winning team? Yeah, probably. I think when the Leafs are at their best, he's a third-pairing defenseman. On R- this team? Yeah, Riley Riley McCabe, Riley Brody would be his, like, I mean, like, I'm talking left side only. Like, Are you t- you're taking McCabe over Nikita Zadorov? Probably. I think, I think, I think so. Or if not, they're equal, which is fine like he shouldn't be like your undisputed top four defenseman like he shouldn't be like clearly your fourth best defenseman i think he should be like fourth fifth or sixth best i agree but for a, a, for a third and a team. fifth how, how yeah no absolutely that's a great deal <laughs> how didn't other teams match that like you look at the edmonton you look at the edmonton ones and you go how did they not match that you look at the toronto maple Leafs and you say how did trey living not match that yeah. and i you know for anyone who says oh maybe they got offered it and, and agreed to it first of all if you're craig conroy coming off a bad trade you just made with sharon govich which we'll talk about soon if you have any suitors in the deal you're getting that deal and leveraging it to other teams you're you're letting Edmonton and Toronto know you should, can, can that, you beat this that's your job that's your job I agree um, and second of all like yeah or I guess this is the same point but how doesn't Trey Living say to Conroy I don't care what deal you make you come to me before you agree to it because I can beat it yeah for a third and a fifth like a, and you would you would even think that the Vancouver Canucks all else equal would have to pay a higher price because Calgary hates them so if they're rivals if yeah this was the best price that was on the market and other teams didn't match it. Who is getting fired? Because I'm sorry, that is ridiculous. That's that's why I'm co- convinced that there is like one of two things going on here. One is that the Leafs are tra- are saving their like trade for somebody either named Noah Hannafin or or Tanev. Like I think that that's one reason. Or because we've seen it before from the from the Flames ownership, they were they were petty enough to say that Tree Living couldn't join the Leafs draft table until after the Flames drafted. Remember that. Yeah. So I think there's another conspiracy theory could be that they're like, you're not trading with Brad True Living. I don't care. Which is objectively bad for your team, but billionaires are billionaires and they can be petty as they want. And Craig Conroy has to respect that. If that's the case, they're going to lose out on a lot of picks because the Toronto Maple Leafs are the team in most need of a defenseman come at the deadline. Yeah, I think they'll probably go out and get somebody that that, and maybe Craig Conroy was, was wishing that he was allowed to trade with him. Like I think... It's either that they have another guy in mind that they didn't want to waste assets on Zadorov, or there's instruction from the ownership telling 
hard or not to trade with him. Those are the only two things that make sense because you're right. Everything else, like those two things off the table, um, that, that was a price that the Leafs needed to match. Yeah, I agree. But when we go to the team that was able to acquire him, and Vancouver looks even more legit than they used to. They look big. They look mean. They look strong. Mm-hmm. And now they have the tallest defensive pairing in the NHL. Tyler Myers is 6'8", 250. Huge. And Zadarov is 6'5", six, six, 220 or 215, like you said. Yeah, he's huge. If there's one thing that the Vancouver Canucks needed, it was uh, it was sorry, it was defensive strength and defensive height because you know we we can say it like their their top pairing defensemen are both phenomenal offensively and defensively, but Philip Pronick and Quinn Hughes are by no means huge, right? Yeah, they're smaller. So when you go out and you get a guy like Zadorov who can you know steady the ship or steady the waters when the game gets physical, especially playing under Rick Tockett, who's historically oh, he's a physical love coach. Him. This team it looks like a great fit. I would give it an A plus 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 just because. You know, the fit is good. It addresses a need, and they paid nothing for him. The only problem, or if you want to call it that, is, and now we're nitpicking, is that, you know, he's he's a left-handed defenseman. Yeah. That team is phenomenal on the left side. The right side, you know, they're chronic in a bag of pucks. But again, just move a guy to the right side. Yeah. It's not that hard. I think also when, when Carson Soucy got hurt, they, like I think their depth was a little bit exposed. Like they were having guys come up who just weren't very good. And when Soucy comes back, he's also left-handed. So they're going to have to figure out how that works, but... We say it all the time, like you're gonna, especially if they if they are considering themselves to be a playoff team, which they should. You're gonna need more than six defensemen. So the more defensemen you can have, the better. And they're all gonna like they're gonna be good. When Susie comes back, they're gonna be even better. I agree. We're just gonna take a brief intermission here to shout out the sponsor of today's episode, Manabo Town. Located in North York, Ontario, Manabo Town is ready to support you with all of your pregame luxury wear. Ranging from sharp suits to sleek shirts and pristine ties, Manabout Town is here to elevate your game to the next level. Visit Manabout Town today or find them on Instagram at manabouttown265 to learn more about how they can assist you. I want to talk a little bit about Craig Conroy because, okay. sure, he inherited arguably the worst situation any GM could inherit. You know, he he comes to a team that's aging, that went out, spent all their money, all their picks on aging veterans who have now produced terribly. They're in purgatory. They're not good enough to be a playoff team. They're not bad enough to, you know, to to be a lottery pick. Fine. I get Mm -hmm. that. But you've talked about this multiple times, too. It looks like the Calgary Flames lack identity. And since Craig Conroy has come in to be the GM of that team, their identity has gotten even muddier. Is he like? Is he trying to go for it? Is he trying to sell? They traded last year their top goal scorer, which is pretty embarrassing on a team with Jonathan Huberto, Lindholm, and, and Nazem Kadri. That Tyler yeah. Toffoli was your top goal scorer. They traded him at his highest value to a team that needed secondary scoring in the Devils for what? Sharon Govich in a third? Like yeah. that's all they could have got for that. Now his next trade is Nikita Zadorov, a guy who we know other GMs love. You love big, strong defensemen, especially at a deadline with one year on their deal. He was all in the limelight. You thought for sure this guy would get a first and something, at worst a second. You telling me the best he could have got was a third and a fifth? Did Zadorov want to leave that bad that he couldn't say, play a few more games? We'll should have. We can get you for a first at the deadline. Like worst case scenario, if this is the best deal he could have got, you wait until the deadline. Yeah. This deal would still be on the table. Like it, it, it would, would be. be. Yeah. I. It just seems. I. I don't want to say he's incompetent because he played in the NHL. He has to be a smart guy. But what other options could there be here? These are two awful trades for a team that really needs to sell desperately. Can you make any logic of these trades? Because I'm quite confused. I think the only other reason why they would have wanted to just get the Zadorov trade over with is because 
they were like, oh, it's maybe maybe behind the scenes it was causing a bit of a circus. Maybe players were arguing. They didn't like each other. The environment was bad. They're like, we just got to get them out of here. And th- th- those are things. Yeah, I mean, they're gonna be bad anyway. Like, I think we're gonna we're gonna continue grading him eventually because he's. I I think like Chris Johnson puts out like a trade bait board where it's like the most likely guys to get traded. I think first to fourth on that list were. Zadorov, Hannafin, Tanev, and Lindholm. Like he's gonna be trading two out of two, if not all three of those remaining guys, and we're gonna see if he can turn this pretty murky situation into an on-the-fly rebuild, or if he's gonna tank his team without trying. You trade those three guys, you're tanking your team. There's no, there's no. But you, then you're still stuck. You're still stuck with Kadri and Huberto and Ra- and Rasmus Anderson and Jacob Markstrom. Like they're still good players on the team. That's the problem. I, I agree. It's tough. Like they're like, in a tough spot. Is there is there something about not wanting to trade all three of those guys at the deadline for an optics reason? And and for, for that case, you go out and you trade Zadarov now and even even if you have to take less for him? Like I don't, I don't under know. I don't understand the logic to agreeing to a third and a fifth when the entire market is under the assumption that this type of player with this type of media attention can get a first and at the worst a second. I'm sure if he got traded for a second and a third, all of us would still be saying, Well, Craig Conroy got fleeced. And now he's traded for a third and a fifth. I feel like a first would have been steep. The issue is, is he's he's a type of defenseman that GMs love to overpay for. So That's you, very true, right? You would think that Conroy could leverage a team into giving you a first, at worst, a second. A third is an objective loss. Yeah, I thought I thought it would be a second. A second seemed like reasonable, yeah. but yeah, you're. Right. I wouldn't have been surprised if someone came out of the woodwork and said, "I give you a first. We've seen people give a first for worse. Yep. Um, but yeah, no, a third, a third and a fifth is definitely not good enough. And the, and if we can talk about the other, like we were talking about how bad the Flames were, the freaking um, Canucks, they they made out like bandits on this because in the process they got that fifth by dumping um, Bolivia, Bovillier, Bovillier yeah. to the to the Hawks. He, I think he was make he was making like four million. I want to say something in that in that range. He had eight points this season. They were able to dump him without retaining content, without retaining anything. I mean, funny because the four million is with four million that Perry made up. So they probably needed it for like money reasons because they were too close to the floor, or whatever. Mm-hmm. They were able to take advantage of the Hawks' financial situation, dump a bad contract onto them, and then leverage that into into Zadora. That that's pretty savvy work by Alvin and and Jim Rutherford too. Yeah, A plus plus for Vancouver, F minus minus for the. Yeah, it doesn't definitely not a great start to um. To what's going on with Craig Conroy there? I alluded to it earlier. I mean, we're not gonna like. There's not really even much that we can say, but we'd be remiss not to at least like have a conversation about what happened with Corey Perry, just like outline the details because it's definitely one of the crazier stories I remember happening in hockey. So I guess for those who are unaware, we'll just like recap the story. He was randomly pulled from a game the day before Thanksgiving, American Thanksgiving in Columbus. He he got pulled from warm up ended up getting scratched. The team made no comment. They said it was an organizational decision, which is weird because it's, we knew right from the beginning it was not performance-related because he was the third-highest point-getter on that team. Yeah. Then they say they're gonna he's going to be away from the team for the foreseeable future. Again, no comment. Uh, and then they terminated his contract with very vague, very vague and potentially misleading wording by saying he was unprofessional conduct and that they leave it at that. They what made it worse 
is they released the notion of unprofessional conduct after the rumor we all know that was spreading yeah. was circulating like wildfire on Twitter. Like that, that rumor was circulating crazily. That's not even a word, but it was circulating like crazy. And then they come out and say it was for unprofessional yeah. conduct. Thank. That was one of the, the most insane rumors like we've ever heard. Like we were like, is this like we, and, and there was a point in time where it was, it was being like spread so fast and like there were people who had legit credibility not saying that it was true but like that it was in their conscience like like they were aware of it and so the fact that it, for it to kind of make it into mainstream media meant that it everybody was talking about it it was one of like the like i said like ridiculous rumor i can't imagine how bedard felt about it um but i honestly feel like the blackhawks deserve all the blame for that they could have prevented that so easily yeah, and you know, it's one thing if Corey Perry wanted to keep the reason for it private, and that is perfectly That's respectable. Fine. Perfectly, we're not going to say that is not a good reason to do it. Yes, but I think it took the Blackhawks way too long to mm -hmm. come out and to disprove that rumor. Yeah. Before they came out and disproved that rumor, they came out and said it was for unprofessional conduct in an extremely vague way that just perpetrated the rumor even more. Mm -hmm. That's the problem with this. And yeah, like. I'm going to have to believe Corey Perry wanted to keep the reason private. And that's why they didn't come out and say it, which again, perfectly respectable. Um, but they could have come out and said right at the beginning, like an impromptu GM conference that this rumor is not true because it went on for so long, for so long that even now that we know it's not true, you just know, you know, and it's toxic and it's, it's disgusting, but the way that hockey culture is, Connor Bedard is going to go into a corner for the rest of his NHL career, and he's going to get chirped for a rumor that is not true and yeah. that could have been handled better. And the Chicago Blackhawks being gifted with arguably the best first overall prospect in a very long time handle this so poorly, so poorly. Yeah, I think they overcorrected. I think their their mindset was probably like, we have pretty bad PR right now. We need to get on this quickly. And we don't want anything to leak because we want to keep everything in-house, in which is, again, like the intentions behind that are probably good. But all you had to say, if this was the case, like if it was just an altercation with a, an employee or he had an uh, altercation with somebody, all you had to say was unprofessional altercation with an employee, yes. something like that. Like you keep it vague. There's no details out. There's nothing about what Perry ended up coming out and saying about alcohol use. Nothing. You just tell us that it was between him and an employee, between him, him and somebody, but not him and what we know ended up being spread. Yeah, and even if Corey Perry wants to keep, you know, his reasons private, you can just come out and say Corey Perry yeah. is taking a leave from the Chicago Blackhawks for a reason unrelated to hockey or unrelated to the team in any way. That's all you needed to say. Yeah. And they came out yeah. and just said it was for unprofessional conduct, period, done. Yeah. <laughs> like, you leave it up for interpretation. And, like, these Why? days, people are going to make up information if you don't give it to them. Yeah. So give them some information so they're not running riot with all of their little ideas <laughs> and to make it even worse like this is in the context of a rumor that i personally have i've never seen a rumor spread this quickly before no never. i saw tiktokers who have never commented on hockey before commenting on it like yeah. you know like there are those like news tiktokers that talk like in like very it's it's, it's like almost like robotic the way they talk but it's like a certain cadence that's hits on tiktok for <laughs> yeah. some reason i even heard those guys talking about it and they have no like they're not in the sports world at all. Yeah, that's I, how kind of crazy it I got. I agree. I just I think there was a way to handle this where you respect Corey Perry's um, situation and you also you know protect Connor Bedard's first of all psyche and yes, also like who? Yeah, like yeah. I don't even know how else to say it. He's a 17 year old kid. He's already got so much limelight on him. He's already got so much pressure. This is something else that he didn't need. And you could have <laughs> handled this in a way 
that disproved the rumor and kept Corey's, Corey Perry's wishes true. And they just did it in such a terrible way. But I expect nothing less from the Chicago Blackhawks. They do not deserve a player yeah. like Connor Bedard. No. Um, and they're continuing to mishandle situations. Well, very well said. <laughs> what else do you say? Yeah. I mean, now, like, I guess I'll think that we can, ra- we can wrap up this conversation by just, like, saying, I guess, Corey Perry came out and made a statement. This is public information now, so I don't feel weird commenting about it. But he said he has struggled with alcohol use, and that's kind of what led to this this incident we still don't know what the incident was that he's getting help for it hopefully that all goes well yep. like do you th- we, we've seen you know players come back from these types of situations before do you think there's still a future for him in the nhl do, or do you think maybe he's at that point of his career where it's maybe just time to call it quits I'm not sure I mean, that's a tough question to answer i mean you know whenever somebody goes through struggles like that um you wish them nothing but the best. I don't know what the unprofessional conduct yeah. was, so mm-hmm. I don't want to comment know. on it. If we're just talking about a player, you know, in a vacuum going through alcoholic struggles, you wish nothing for the best for him. But yeah, who knows? I mean, Corey Perry has has shown that he's been good. Yeah, he's shown that when his career's gone downhill for hockey related reasons, he's able he's been able to come back and be and an important part of a of, of a cup contending team. Um, so who knows? Who knows? I mean, I w- like um, if we're talking purely hockey now, which we are preface this conversation by saying that nah, i remember when he went i think when he went to the habs he wanted to come to the leafs mm-hmm. and the leafs maybe weren't willing to pay him what he wanted i think they wanted to, they paid wayne simmons i think instead of him or was basically choose between the two but if he can come back and be you know healthy and the incident wasn't they said there was no police investigation involved but my god if he could be able to come back i would love him on the leafs yeah, I mean, he's a good depth type scorer. of guy. Type Derek? of guy that you need. He's a rat. We yeah. don't have any rats. Yeah, and he can finish checks. I mean, he can he can set That's tones. I'm I'm giving all of the hockey cliches here, and he can do That's all what that. He does though. He can do all that while scoring you ten goals a year, and you take that. Yeah. Last thing before we wrap up, um, the guy with literally the best facial expressions I've ever seen <laughs> on a head coach, Dean Evison, got fired. I mean, this team's been so mid. Yeah. And they lost 13 of their last 16 before he got fired. Yeah, you probably got to get fired for that. For sure. Um, after that kind of run, something needs to give. They went on to hire John Hines, who got a pretty mid-Predators team into the playoffs last year. Well, granted, he had UC Soros in net. Um, that'll help you. Uh, and they got they got their first win with him. But I'm talking about this Dean Evison situation because I need to talk about Bill Guerin. Because he now not on the hot seat because... Everything that's happened to this team has been based on some of the decisions that he's made. Yeah, and are you referencing like the the cap struggles they have in in a league with a flat cap? When when good teams without cap recapture penalties are struggling to meet to to, to find room for guys, you're playing with a fourteen point seven million dollar dead cap on your Crazy. hands. They are playing with well, what's even the math on like a seventy. Like a seventy million, like a sixty-nine million dollar cap because it's eighty-three million, sixty-nine million dollar cap Crazy. in twenty twenty-three, and, and, and you're they, expecting you to make the playoffs. And they have made the playoffs every year yeah. for the last five years, which is crazy. Yeah. It was a matter of time before it came back to bite them. They were losing guys every offseason because you can't keep them. Like no coach is going to be able to turn a, an objectively less talented team to the playoffs when you have when you're playing with fourteen million less dollars than everybody. Like, at some point, this has to fall at his feet. I know he's only been in the job for, I think, maybe three or four years, which is short as far as GMs are concerned. But if their struggles continue and they keep losing players, like, I think he's going to have to pay for this with his job. Like, 
I agree. Was he responsible for those cap recapture penalties? He bought those contracts. He bought out Parise and Suter, I think, two seasons ago. And I think the thinking was we need to move on from these guys and move on to like a next era, I think. That was like probably their thinking. Mm-hmm. And that season, they didn't get a cap penalty. For bio calculators are crazy. They didn't really inherit many penalties that season. And I think the thinking was like, okay, we we've been gifted now $14 million of cap space. Let's go out and spend it and try and be good while Kaprizov is still here. I think they lost in the second round that, that season. And then since then they've been, they've been okay. And now they're bad. Yeah. I don't understand the logic when you're, when you know that in the future you are going to hit a $15 million cap hit. It's especially being in a smaller market. Very short sighted. Yeah. It's, it's, it's ridiculous. And I guess the logic was, you know, we finally have a top ten player in the league. Mm-hmm. At the time, Kaprizov was that mm-hmm. guy. Yeah. Um, let's go out and you know try to try to do it while he's here. I mean, now he's signed. I mean, they, they didn't have a, some form of like a a, a future outlook that he was going to sign to the team. And if if they knew there was a good chance of him signing back, why not just continue to play with these guys? And even in worst case, Kaprizov leaves. I would rather have no Kaprizov and fourteen million dollars in cap space than Kaprizov and play with a sixty nine million dollar cap. Because at least in the latter possibility, you can go out and replace Kaprizov. Right now, this team. I don't care if it's Connor McDavid with a sixty nine million dollar cap. You are you can't win. You it's, can't win. Yeah, it's an impossible situation. And. They have this cap hit for two more seasons after this. Well, guess what? You're going to have to pay Matt Boldy soon. You're going to have to pay Brock Faber soon. These are your best young players. And if you can't pay them, then, then what's the point of all of this? Yeah, you, you'd have to think that. Is I wonder if for teams that are, um, that are not phenomenal and are in a lower market, if the goal is to win a Stanley Cup. Because if the goal is to win a Stanley Cup, they would not be making these moves. I wonder if the goal is to stay as relevant as possible, to make some jersey sales and just hope to stay afloat. And you know you, you might think I'm crazy, but what else explains this move? Because from a from an objective, an objectively coherent hockey mind, you know that it doesn't matter if Wayne Gretzky's on your team with it with a cap hit, yeah. fourteen million dollars less, you cannot win, right? Yeah, no. So I wonder if the line of thinking was, you know, we'd rather have Kaprizov in jersey sales than to have fourteen million dollars in cap space, be a small market that no superstar wants to come to, and now we still stay bad and we aren't able to sell jerseys and to sell tickets. I wonder if that was the thought. It could be. I can't. I can't think of any other reason to do it, and I would be hard pressed to think that every team is trying to win a cup in the NHL because I don't think that's true. No, I think you're onto something. I think it's like it's reasonably well documented that some, like the goal of some owners is just to get playoff gate revenue. Yep. Like get me that gate revenue because it's so much more in the playoffs. Keep the team relevant. Like not every team can win the cup every year. There's 32 teams, and there are 10 teams that are way better than the, the wild on paper so i th- i don't i think there's actually quite a bit of validity to what you're saying some owners know their they know their they know their lane they stay in it mm-hmm. and the minnesota's minnesota's brand for the like since we've really been watching hockey is that they're gonna be like a six seven eight seed and they're gonna be relevant they're gonna be decent they're never gonna go on a crazy run but they're always gonna be kind of someone we talk about as a smaller market team in the west who's decent and now they're just bad because they've tried to be decent for too long. Yeah, I agree. Not much else to say. The, team's in, say, the yeah. team's in the mud. They're, Kaprizov's having a bad year. Um, what's his name? Gustafsson had the, the first game of the season. He Was it against the Leafs? He put up a 40-save oh, yeah. shutout or something. And oh, it was, wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't against. I don't think it was against the Leafs. But he played a game against he, us. He was he unreal. Was crazy. He, he, he's good, but. Since then, he's been the worst yeah. player in the NHL. Oh, really? He's been really bad. Like okay. 830, well, like really bad. Well, we talked about <laughs> it with, with um, what's-his-face, with um, my guy. Edmonton coach. Refresh my memory. Not block. No, other guy. 
No. Woodcroft. Woodcroft. When you have a bad goalie, like you're not gonna win games. So maybe I mean Everson wasn't getting help from his goalie, but he's not getting help from his GM either. When you're icing a team that's objectively worth less than all the other ones, you're gonna be in for a tough one. And I don't know if John Hines can work miracles, but we'll see. I think their season's over. Honestly, at this point, you should just be selling and try and get a, a first overall pick. You like, you're that bad. You can't sell cap or capture penalties, right? Mm-mm, Even if you could, no I one... I think it's dead cap that yeah. you eat. Yeah, and, and this in this market, nobody would. Mm-hmm. Nobody has cap space. So they're just crappy. See. Anyway, and that's that's me on my little... I have a little rant about... Minnesota's your, your, like, your third favorite team. I remember you hopped on their bandwagon. Last year, they were good because I liked them, but now they're just bad, and I got to be real about them. <laughs> so I got nothing else to say. A little shorter of an episode this time, but uh, we're in scheduling difficulties, so we're making it work. Yeah. Nonetheless, continue to you know to follow us on Instagram, on Twitter. Yeah. We are three followers away from five, four thousand on TikTok, which is pretty cool. So four thousand. Sorry, thirty five hundred. Thirty five hundred. Um, help us get up to four thousand. Um, we released. We got a Spotify Wrapped back. We posted it on our story. We're mm-hmm. up like seventy percent followers in the last year. Thank you for that. We hope to keep growing. Let's get this to 100% over the next year. We're, we're in like nine or 10 different countries. We're like a top 10% podcast um, for like, I think, 30, 40 people and a top 1%, sorry, a top one podcast for I think 16, five or six people, 16. 16 people, which I mean is a pretty big number. Pretty and cool. We're not trying to gas ourselves up here. We're trying to say thank you and let's uh, hope to keep building. So thank you for that. Let's keep building. Well, uh, I guess we'll end off on there and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see, see you, you in a few weeks. We'll have, we'll have an episode out before the holidays and that's it. See you in a few weeks. See you. Thank you for tuning in. This has been the Upon Further Review Podcast. We'll see you all next week.